this Christian Labor Sunday, the Old Testament reading is from Proverbs chapter 6, beginning verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. Here ends the Old Testament. Our lector this morning is Kelsey Butler. She is one of the teachers at Emmanuel St. James Lutheran School. They finished up their first week already. The epistle is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning verse 9. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Here ends the epistle. We stand in honor of the Holy Gospel, the words of Jesus. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how... Okay, all you little workers. You haven't started working yet in school. I'm sure that you will next week. Even some of the bigger people. Right? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, then again, have we got any little people? Well, they're too little sometimes. Well, we got one. <laughs> now, see, it's an, you're, you're an, in between age, right? You're not quite sure. Or maybe you're just a cousin or friend. I'm not going to put you to work. Keith may be a little worried. Few Americans today really know what manual labor is. Paul mentioned it. He said that they should be working with their hands. That's what ancient people liked to avoid in Jesus' day, because everything was done by hand. Okay. Heath, you don't know what this is, do you? No. Mama know what this is? No. 
Anybody know what this is? Well, it has a fancy name. It's called an ADS. ADS. A-D-Z. ADS. Sometimes they put an E on it. My father was born in 1904. His uncle, Elmo, had this on his farm. He inherited it from his father, Robert W. Blaine. Now, they lived out in Iowa. Few trees and no sawmills. Michigan people had it easy. Go out and chop down a few trees. Take the wood to the sawmill. No problem. In Iowa, it was a big problem. Every farmer had to have one of these. You had to have a log or two brought in by horse. And then if you wanted to make it good for your building or your house, you had to use this thing. You'd stand over the log and slowly chop, 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 chop. It was a long process. It could take you most of a day to finish one log. This one is a special Iowa version. Not only is there the blade here, but there's this point. So this is also something called a mattock. A mattock is meant for chopping through prairie soil. It was also used with this point if you ran across some hard dirt or you could use it to make a furrow or roots or roots. They say it differently out there. This is not the original handle, but this is the original blade, probably from about the time of the Civil War. That's how everybody got stuff done. And people used to get terrible things on their hands called blisters. We may laugh at that, but back then, if you got blisters, you could die from that. You could get infected. They had nothing that we have, like antibiotics. You could die from blisters. Therefore, when they worked, they always had working gloves to protect their hands. Now, how many of you would just love to be able to do this kind of work again? Okay, grand total of two, maybe three. So we Americans now, we avoid hard work, don't we? We want to have it done an easy way, or better yet, have someone else do it for us, right? What did Jesus do most of his life? He was a carpenter. They also used very crude kind of tools to do carpentry work. He did it for 18 years of his life. He was a good carpenter. He worked with wood. And then he began three years of ministry in Israel. And where did he end up? On a wood cross. He was always working with wood. So if Jesus himself did that kind of labor and did it honestly and fairly, 
as a good witness to his faith and then was willing to die on wood, we shouldn't avoid hard work either, especially as good witnesses to the world. Christians should be good, hard workers, not hard at trying to avoid it, but to do it with all the ability that we have. And that's the way you'll do it at school, right? Mama says yes. So all you students out there, uh, school can be a lot of work too, and you should just go at it and be a good witness to your Christian faith. Okay, I'll let you go back. I'll put this dangerous weapon away. Sanctify them by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Our text is from Matthew chapter 6 from the Sermon on the Mount. Dear saints of God in Christ Jesus, do you ever get upset about people who don't work even though they could work, who have abilities but never use them, and somehow expect everybody else who does work to take care of them? Hmm. In the ancient world, that never worked very well. Paul, when he writes the second letter to the Thessalonians, made the famous statement, If any will not work, neither shall he eat. I have thought about starting a political party with that title. But it's too long a title, and a lot of people wouldn't like it. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is dealing with our concerns. Many times we think we work just so we can live. Matters like your life itself, food and drink, clothing, place to stay, We seem to be forced into working and maybe working longer than we need to at times just to make ends meet. And because of this sinful world, sometimes we get to worrying about that. Are there any retirees out there? A few. Some retirees get concerned whether they will run out of money, that they might live too long and their savings won't support them as they near 100 years old. How's that? Work should not be a mere necessity that if you don't, you will starve. Work is actually intended to be a blessing for mankind. If you doubt me in this, just look at Genesis. Before anything went haywire with sin, what did God give to Adam to do? He placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, what's the point of that? I think the Garden would have been fine without him. Why did God have him do this work even before there was any sin or hunger or necessity? Now, I'll go back to some of you retirees. Have any of you experienced this situation? You yearn for retirement. 
You can't wait for it to happen, and, and once you're retired, you enjoy it for maybe a week or two. And then you start getting nervous because you haven't got anything much to do. Or your wife says, honey, why don't you go out and do something? <laughs> People were made to labor and to work in one way or another. If you just sit back in your easy chair and watch all the movies and shows, you're going to go bonkers. It's not good for you. It's not even healthy. We were made to work and to labor. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about not worrying. Worry comes from a lack of faith in your Heavenly Father's care. He will take care of you. Yet you're still intended to work. And the bad guy, the foil in this section from Matthew 6, has to do with some worthless, lazy, good-for-nothing animal thieves. We don't quite catch that in our day and age. We feed some of these critters. Jesus says, first of all, look at the birds of the air. How many of you feed birds? Come on, be honest. They're cute, and they tweet, and they make all sorts of little cute things in the sky. When the ancients saw birds, it was usually when they were going out to do their planting or their harvesting. If you go out and sow your wheat, you don't want the birds to swoop down and steal it because you'll end up hungry, in poverty. So as the father would go out sowing, all the kids, aunts and uncles and neighbors would follow along with twigs, yelling and shouting and shuffling along, getting sure that all the seeds get really set in the soil. They hated birds. Then in the fall, when you do all the work, cutting, thrashing, beating the wheat free from the stalk and the chaff, those stupid, useless, thieving birds will swoop down and try to steal your wheat. And then again, you'll be destitute. Why, the ancients asked, did God ever make these thieving birds? They're useless. They just make life terrible for us. But Jesus has a different purpose. Birds of the air, they do not sow. They do not reap or store away in barns. But notice how God, the Heavenly Father, takes care of them. He continues to be feeding them. That's grace. Anytime we find ourselves, you know, goofing off, uh, trying to get something for nothing, any of these terrible activities, we're like the birds. But Jesus wants us to understand that our Heavenly Father still loves us, cares for us, and feeds us. Therefore, do your work, and God will bless it. Yeah, but, but, uh, do you just want to work so you can get, get something on your table? Or don't you want to have a little more interesting things happen in your life? I mean, 
you want to live like a dumb Iowa farmer and never have any fun? Is that what life is about? Don't you want to look a little sharp, have a little fun, look like you're somebody? In the ancient world, one of the major things you could do is you could get some good duds. I mean clothing. I mean good stuff. Only you didn't just go to Sears and buy it. He points out the lilies of the field. That's a joke. That's a term that they applied to a special plant. It was a woody, tough, mean weed. It had tough, deep roots, and the only thing it was good for is he'd send out the kids in the evening, and with difficulty they'd pull up these particular lilies of the field, pull them up, dry them for a couple of days until they were nice and crispy, and you'd use that for starting your fire for morning breakfast. But they were useless otherwise. Just completely ruin a whole field. These lilies of the field. But they're called lilies because at times when it's dry and a sudden rain would come, those horrible weeds would just blossom into beautiful yellow flowers, whole hillsides of them, and they were magnificent to see. David, Jesus says these lilies of the field, they do not do any hard work, no labor, and they don't spin. Um, I hate to ask this, but uh, do all the kids know what spinning is about? It's not a dance. Spinning is this wheel where you have some wool or flax and you're getting the wheel to go around and there's a special way of tweedling it with your fingers and you can make thread or yarn and then you had to go and put it on a loom and make your clothes. That's why maybe you had maybe one or two other extra pieces of clothing. That's all. These weeds, why would God cause them? I finally got a yard service. I broke down, though I'm part Scottish as well as Dutch, which is a bad combination. And I actually spent money to take care of those stinking weeds. It's a fight every year. Why, dear Lord, do you send these weeds into my lawn? I'm a good worker with my lawn. I pick out weeds one by one if I have to. Why do I keep getting weeds? The guy next door does nothing, and he has a beautiful lawn. Of course, he never mows it either. <laughs> but it's green. Why? Similar to the birds. The worst weeds you can think of, set that in your mind. Maybe those dandelions or crabgrass. God takes care of them as a reminder to us that in spite of the trouble that those weeds cause, He still watches out for them, cares for them, takes care of everything, and even gives them the kind of beauty that even we don't have. By these things, Jesus wants us to understand that it isn't 
our success because of our work alone. God has to give blessings to whatever work we are doing, and he does intend for us to work even from the beginning down to Jesus' own example. But we have to trust in his grace. The thing we have trouble with is we think we've worked so hard that therefore we deserve more blessings, especially more than those lazy people. But that's not Jesus' way of thinking. You have your work to do. You have your calling, or as Luther said, your vocation, using the abilities that God has given you. And you should do that with all of your ability, as St. Paul elsewhere says, working not merely for men, but ultimately for the Lord himself. Because by your hard work, you're not only setting an example, not only taking care of your family, but also you're being a good witness to the world around you. Do you know the song, Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. I can't whistle. Hi, why were those dwarfs so happy? It's the middle of the Great Depression. And what did they have? A job working in a mine. Yeah. Give thanks to God in this Labor Day weekend. Take some time to think about that God has provided you not only with your talents, but also your labor, your work, which you can now do joyfully and without worry as a good witness to the world of Christ Jesus, who has really done the hard work at the cross. And he brings us life. Amen. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen.